Last week, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, we saw that Jesus says, I want you to go out. But before you go out, I want you to know that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So no matter what we encounter when we go, whether it's overseas or here in Rocky Mount or in Hampton Roads or wherever God takes us, the ultimate and final authority wherever we go is not Satan and what he's doing. It is Jesus and what he is doing. We just simply need to get in touch with what he is doing and connect with him in what he is accomplishing. Then Jesus gave us the specific aspects of what we call the Great Commission. That's our vision. That's the call that God's given us. First, he said, I want you to go. That's a command to all of us. Now, going may take us to different geographical places. Going will take us to different people. Going will take us to different people groups. But he says, I want you to go. Second, he says, as you go, and these are all commands. He says, I want you to make disciples. We saw that making disciples carries several aspects of how Jesus made disciples. First of all, Jesus made disciples by gathering those folks around him and he taught them the word of God. He taught them how to understand the word of God and live the word of God. They taught, he taught them about who he was, who God is, who they are, and what God is up to. And in particular, we looked last week and we said that a key aspect of growing in our relationship with the Lord... Growing in your marriage, in your relationship with the Lord in your marriage. Growing as a parent, as you parent your children, is a daily time alone with the Lord. Of spending time alone with God every day, growing in that relationship with Him. And I shared with you last week that during the month of December, we had gone through a devotional together. And that periodically in 2019, we would provide devotionals for you to go through. Well, starting Sunday, March the 3rd, together as a congregation, we're going to offer this called the One Minute Bible. It will take us on a 90-day journey together. And it covers basic Bible doctrines. It covers basic uh, aspects of growing in our walk with the Lord. It covers pretty much all the basics of getting started with the Lord and of walking with the Lord and continuing with the Lord, you name it. And it covers it in that 90-day period of time. And I'll be taking some of my messages on Sunday mornings from this, as well as our Wednesday night Bible study as we journey through this together. And it's appropriate to use as individuals, as well as to use as couples, etc. So Jesus made disciples by teaching them the Word of God. Secondly, Jesus made disciples by experience. Let's just not talk about it. Let's go out into the lab of life, and let's actually do it. And then he made disciples by example. Look at my attitude, Jesus said. Look at the way that I do things. Watch how I hold my cool. How I take the long look in life. Watch how I do it. Watch my disposition, my example, my attitude. Follow my example. He taught the example of how to pray. Teaching us how to pray. And so it's through understanding of the Word of God, experience, and example and discipleship is about creating in people a hunger for the Lord. And we create that hunger as God works in our lives. And people watch that and say, I would like to be able to have a relationship with the Lord the way that person does. Now, we're going to continue to look at this commission today in verse 19. And my sermon outline is included as an insert in your bulletin. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples 
beginning with verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go into all the world, he says, and make those disciples of all nations. Now, if you take the word nations there and circle it and write out from it ethnic groups, because the actual Greek word there is ethnos, from which we get the English word ethnic. So what Jesus is saying is, I want you to go to all ethnic groups or people groups. The word nations tends to carry in our minds often a geographical idea of a certain nation in a certain place with a certain political system. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I want you to identify specific ethnic groups and I want you to take the gospel to those groups. Now, Get the picture, when Jesus spoke this, he's looking into the eyes of a group of men, most of whom are Jewish in their nationality, their background, their raising. And they would have been raised at that particular time in history to look upon everyone who was non-Jewish, i.e. Gentiles, and say they don't really have any worth, they are inferior to us. In fact, they're just created as fuel for the fires of hell. So we shouldn't bother with Gentiles. So when Jesus says, I want you to take all these Gentiles, and I don't care what language they happen to be, I don't care what nationality they happen to be, I don't care where they live, I don't care whether you like them, dislike them, they're like you, or very dissimilar from you, I want you to go to them and make disciples of them, which means you don't only go and share my gospel, my story with them, and invite them into a relationship with me. But in order to disciple them, you got to get to know them. you got to hang out with them. you got to build relationships with them. you got to establish connection with them. you got to share life with them. Can you imagine how some of those guys must have almost bristled at Jesus saying that? You want us to go and hang out with Romans, the same people who just crucified you 40 days ago, and you want us to go hang out with Romans? Do you know how dangerous Romans are? Do you know how much I don't, we, uh, we are oppressed by Romans, and yet you're telling us to go hang out with Romans? Do you want to go tell us to hang out with Greeks who have taken their culture and superimposed it over our culture to where we have to speak the Greek language, we have to use the Greek language in all formal documents, we have to use... Greek currency, we got to just be submerged in Greek culture, and you're telling us we got to go to those folks, etc., etc. In Acts, in the book of Acts, in the opening chapters, when the Holy Spirit of God is poured out, it goes to this long list of all the people who are in Jerusalem that day. They get saved and get filled with the Holy Spirit. All the different languages are there. Why? Because he's saying, I want you to go to all of those groups, all of those ethnos, those ethnic groups. Now, when I was growing up, I used to hear this passage preached. And this is how we interpret it. And we, we had a handle on it. At least we thought we did. Certain people in church get a certain call from God to missions. And they become missionaries. And we set them aside 
and we pray over them, and we support them, and we send them overseas as missionaries. And that's how we fulfill the Great Commission. And then we pretty much just hang out with the people that are like us back home. Well, first of all, what Jesus is saying here is not that. He's not saying this commission is just for certain people who are missionaries. He's saying everybody is supposed to go to those different ethnicities. Now, missionaries have a specific, unique calling on their life to relocate to another country and zero in on a people group there. But this commission is not just reserved for folks who were designated as missionaries. Jesus said, all of you are supposed to do this. The second thing is, the Lord has allowed, and I believe called and worked, however you want to put it, for the nations to come to us. A few blocks from where I'm standing right now, is a community of Egyptians. A few more blocks from where I'm standing right now is a community of Hispanics. I want to challenge you the next time you go to Walmart and Rocky Mount, before you grab your groceries or whatever you're in Walmart to grab, walk around in Walmart and look at who's there. You will be shocked at how many different nationalities you will see in Walmart in Rocky Mount. Two weeks ago, a bunch of us went into Roanoke to work at the food pantry that one of our folks, David Burgess, established 18 years ago. That Saturday, we passed out food to probably about 100 or so folks. And I watched the people who were coming and going out of that food pantry. There was a lady that came up behind me talking to somebody else. And I can usually recognize French or Spanish. Even though I don't speak them, I can recognize them. This lady was speaking a language I didn't know. I turned to David and I said, what language is she speaking? And he said, I'm not sure. I was amazed there in Roanoke, in southeast Roanoke, at the nationalities that were coming and going out of that food pantry. And what I'm saying is, God has brought the nations to us. For what purpose? Not so that we can ignore them and avoid them, but so that we can share the Lord Jesus with them. Years ago, when I was pastor at First Baptist Galax, there was a large Hispanic population that had come into Galax. And we started a bus ministry to reach out to that particular group. We had a Hispanic pastor that came on our staff. And we began to see Hispanic folks coming to Jesus. And we shared baptismal services with both Anglos and Hispanics on Sunday morning. Both the Hispanic pastor and I would get in the baptistry together and take turns baptizing. And we did our baptisms in both languages, etc. But I'll never forget the Hispanic pastor coming to me on one occasion. And he said, pointed out a guy... He said, you know, he made an interesting comment to me. He said, I came here from Mexico. I came to Galax from Mexico, not realizing that God brought me here to find Jesus. And I can't wait to go back to Mexico and share with the people there the Jesus that I have found in Galax. Now, one of the things that struck me was that 
Who in the world would ever have thought that God would be doing a work in the tiny city of Galax that he would use to impact people in another part of the world? He says, I want you to go. Now, I think one of the greatest challenges we face today is not even in the area of skin color. It is in the area of the culture of different age groups. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go and I want you to love and share the message about me with every age group inside, whatever ethnicity it is. Even if they seem to live in a different world than the world you live in. And sometimes we tend to look at generations that are older or younger than us, maybe particularly that are younger from us, and we wonder, how can I ever connect with them? Real simple, just love them in Jesus' name. Love is a universal language that cuts across every age group. And all people, sooner or later, recognize if you really care about them or not. And that's really what's important to them. So he's saying, go to all. Go to all nations. And then he says, when you get to them and you tell them about Jesus, baptize them. Now, we usually think of baptism exclusively... In terms of you could take them to the baptistry. They go in dry, come out wet, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And hopefully the pastor won't drown them while they're in there, uh, etc. Notice what he says here. I want you to baptize them how? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the idea, not just of saying that. But the idea is that they are baptized under the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, when I am baptized, what I am saying in the act of baptism is I am placing my life under the authority of Jesus Christ. Not just for this moment in baptism, but going under the water is symbolic of saying my life is coming under the authority of Jesus Christ. And from this point in my life through the rest of my life, my life is under the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm not under his authority just for that Sunday. I'm not just under his authority for just an experience at the end of a worship service. I am living my life under his authority for the rest of my life. And you see, there's always a struggle going on inside of us as to who is really in charge. Who's calling the shots in my life? And by baptism and by mentally going back to baptism over and over again, I have said publicly before a group of people, and I have said before God that Jesus is calling the shots for the rest of my life. That I'm living under His authority. That I am choosing to submit to Him. That is the idea of baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when we're baptized... It is also symbolic that we are being placed and have been placed by God all the way into his family. God doesn't know how to halfway adopt anybody. He adopts us fully into his family. And what does it mean to be adopted into his family? It means that we hang out together. We enjoy being together. And there are all kinds of ways... That we can get at doing that. This year we're going to have times when we get together and eat. Why? 
Because there's just something about getting together and sharing a meal together that just opens us up to each other and we enjoy being with each other's informality there, etc. We want to create opportunities for you guys to be dependent on each other because that builds bonds of friendship and makes great memories. The slideshow you saw earlier, all those different mission projects, we had to depend on each other to get the job done. My weaknesses had to be offset by somebody else's strengths. We had to work together to make it happen. I've been singing with a choir the last few months. I haven't sung in a choir since I was a teenager. I have discovered I don't have the voice I used to have. I have discovered that there is grace and mercy on the part of Alshara and my fellow choir members that was beyond what I realized. But I've also learned that I have to be very dependent on Valshara as she leads to make sure I'm following in the song. But I also have to be very dependent on the people that are around me. Now I'm going to confess something and I haven't told Fred this yet. But I listen out of my left ear to him all the time. And sometimes I am following his voice wherever it is going because I don't know where I'm going sometimes. So i got to follow somebody's voice that knows where they are going. And Jerry came up and joined the choir. And that means i got another bass now that I can play off of because I was the only bass. And you're in trouble when I'm the only bass, uh, etc. And the thing I've been learning in the choir is I have to be so dependent on everybody else in there in order for it to happen. And that's really a picture of the way the family of God works. And this dependency we need to have on each other is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. That is how God designed us to be dependent because as we come together and work together, then we are able to accomplish God's work. And he wants us in the process of all of that just to enjoy being with one another. Now, one of the aspects of being with one another, as we really get to know each other, is we're not always that terribly impressed with each other. I tell our mission teams on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday when we get on location, folks, by Tuesday you are going to be chewing on each other's nerves up one side and down the other. You're going to see things about each other that you don't like, you don't enjoy. In fact, I do a, use a training module on how to get along on a mission trip. Because by at some point in the ball game, you get tired, you get hungry, you don't smell good. You're starting to discover stuff about each other that you don't like. And it's easy to start picking each other. Have you ever noticed that it's hard to be part of a family? It's hard to be part of a family some days. And that's the way God designed it. Because in that process, we have to grow in patience. We have to grow to be more like Jesus if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John sometime, let me ask you to circle a word when you go through there. It's, sometimes it says, Jesus sighed. Jesus sighed. He's with his disciples and he sighed. Can you imagine what was going through his mind? They are never going to get this. I can't help but wonder if there wasn't a time or two he thought, you know, I got a lightning bolt at my disposal that I could use right now, and I really want to use it. <laughs> One lightning bolt across Peter's mouth maybe would finally get him to shut up. <laughs> he called Peter, James, and John his sons of thunder, apparently because they had such explosive personalities. 
What was Jesus doing? He was saying, hey guys, we're going to have fun together. We're going to work together. But yeah, we get on each other's nerves like crazy sometimes. We bump into each other, etc. But we are family. At the end of the day, we are family. And folks, let me say this. If we will learn to be the family of God with one another, it will also teach us how to be the family of God in our families. In my marriage, my wife is my wife, but she's also my sister in Christ. She is also a member of the family of God. And our marriage has been about a journey of discovering and living out God's call and God's work and God's will for us. That's the idea of the family of God in marriage. The same thing with children. Together as the family of God, we are discovering and living out what God has for us. God put us together for a reason. But he depends upon us and calls us to search out the reason he's put us together. He says, I want you to baptize. And then he says, I want you to teach. Notice how he says, verse 20. He says, I want you to teach them to observe. The word there means to keep and obey all that I have commanded you. Jesus is saying, I want you to teach. And that teaching means that I want you to teach them to obey what I have commanded you. Now, I don't just teach knowledge. It's not just how much of this gets up here. It's about how much of this gets right here. There is a difference in knowledge of the Bible being in my brain and being in my heart. And Jesus is saying, I want you to teach for the heart. Because if you just learn it up here and it doesn't drop the 18 inches here, it's not doing you any good. So Jesus says, I want you to teach. Now, how do I obey this? How do I do this teaching? They used to say it's more caught than taught. And this is the idea that we don't just teach by imparting knowledge. We teach even more by living the word of God out in front of people. So if I talk about how Jesus loves people, then people need to be able to look into my life and see the love of Jesus being lived out in front of them. They need to be able to look into my life and see me loving people the way Jesus loves people. And when they see me loving people the way Jesus loves people, that I am teaching by example what it means for Jesus to love people. When I'm living in purity, I am living out what Jesus commanded about purity. Now, some of the people the Lord's going to call you to love and to teach about how to love are not going to be easy people to deal with. Well, this is what I like to say. Jesus has called us to love people, not love their behavior. Jesus has called us to love people and not love their behavior. And anywhere you get in and you're serving the Lord, God's going to put some people in your path that you're supposed to teach by example that are going to really work over you. And they're going to stress you and strain you and pull you out there. And what's God trying to say? He's trying to say, I want to take you to a deeper reality of the experience of what it means to love people the way that I love people. Teach them what? Teach them all that I have commanded you. 
Notice the key word. All that I have commanded you. We tend to like to be picky and choosy about the all. I like the verses that comfort me. I like the verses that, you know, sound so great and nice, etc. But there are other verses in there that I'm not particularly fond of. Over the years I've been a pastor, folks have often brought up to me, you know, the 23rd Psalm. And that's everybody's favorite, the 23rd Psalm. Why is it such a favorite? Because we think it speaks of comfort and so forth. Uh, I have never had anybody ask me, you know, to share those verses where Jesus says you got to give up this and you got to give up that in order if you're going to follow me. Uh, because we don't particularly get into that kind of thing. But Jesus says that we are to teach by our lifestyle and by knowledge all that he has commanded us. Which means that we've got to teach and we've got to live the entirety of what God teaches in his word. Not just the parts of it that suit me and make me feel nice. I've got to follow it all. And by the way, in the 23rd Psalm where it says, The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, that is comforting, but that is also challenging. Because the sheep knew that their first job was to obey and follow the shepherd. Not just have the shepherd meet their needs, but they were to obey and follow the shepherd. And the way the shepherd met the sheep's needs was by the sheep choosing to follow the shepherd. It was in the process of following and obeying the shepherd that the various things in the 23rd Psalm come to pass in their life. Now, I want you to see in verse 20 that Jesus bookends this command with promises. The first promise that he gave is you're going to go under my authority and everything you encounter is going to be under my authority. And now in verse 20 as he ends this great commission, this vision he has for us, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Studying this passage of scripture, one of the foremost Greek scholars who studied the New Testament was a guy by the name of A.T. Robertson. And when A.T. Robertson came to this verse and came to this promise, I am with you always, he says it's a prophetic present. And I thought, where in the world is he talking about a prophetic present? Follow me on what I'm about to say. In the Greek language, you've got the use of the prophetic, which means he's speaking of something in the future. Present tense means it's happening right now. So how can you combine a prophetic utterance of something in the future with a tense of it happening right now? That seems like a contradiction. You're talking future and present in the same word. But the Greek language is much more expressive than English. This is what he's saying, and I love this. When Jesus said, I am with you always, he's saying, right now in the present, I am with you. Now, when Jesus spoke those words, he's standing there with the disciples. He's looking into their eyes. They're looking into his. They can reach out and touch him if they want to. They could grab hold of his hand and feel the blood pulsating through it. And they got a real strong sense. Jesus is with us. But Jesus is saying, I want you to look into the future of your life. And I want you to understand that tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, I am going to be as present in your life as I am today. 
You may not know what's coming, but this is one thing you can know. That whatever comes, I'm going to be there. You don't know who's going to be there in terms of human beings, but you can know that I will be there. Now he says, I'm going to be with you always. On the good days, on the bad days, I'm going to be with you. Folks, one of the mistakes that we often make with the Lord is we define the presence of God in our lives according to our circumstances. According to how we think God's answering prayer. So if I see God answering prayer in my life, oh, Jesus loves me, Jesus is with me. But if God doesn't seem to be answering prayer, then I'm not so sure if Jesus loves me or if he's with me. Sometimes we, you know, if the circumstances of life are going great, ah, oh, the Lord's with me. If, if the circumstances aren't too great, well, I think the Lord took a hike. And then we define it on feelings. Do I feel the presence of the Lord? Well, let me tell you, you can do a test here on that. I want you to go tonight to Pizza Hut and eat as much pizza as you can at 11 o'clock tonight, all right? And then about 2 o'clock in the morning when you wake up and you're headed to the bathroom, you will not feel the presence of the Lord, all right? I can guarantee you that, all right? You're going to feel something, but you are not going to define it as the presence of the Lord. What I'm trying to say in a joking way is this. We tend to define the presence of God in our lives based on our feelings, and what Jesus is saying here is, I'm going to be with you. Don't, it's not dependent on the feelings. It's not dependent on the circumstances. My presence with you in your life is dependent exclusively on my promise and my commitment to be with you. So when all of life is saying to me, God is not there, I don't live out of those circumstances. I live out of his promise when he said, I will be with you always he says to the end of the world he says basically the idea there is i'm going to be with you till i bring this whole thing up to a conclusion and in jesus is the only one who decides when the conclusion happens i'm going to be with you always till i bring this thing to a conclusion whatever we face However God calls us to live this vision out. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. And I can't stress that enough. Whatever you face in life, He's with us. Whatever He calls us to, He's with us. Whatever difficult person He calls us to love, He is with us. Whatever you face, even when we stand and we face death, the greatest reality in facing death is not death. It is the presence of Jesus. He is with us. And I can get out of the bed in the morning, not with a sigh. Man, i got to endure it. But I can get out of the bed with excitement and energy in my step because Jesus is there when I get out of bed. And I can lay down at night and go to sleep regardless of what's going on in my life. Because whatever is swirling around my life, He is with me, closer to me than whatever else seems to be exploding around me. Whatever stage of life we are in, He is with us. Those men 
that day when he finished this commission, watched him ascend to the Father. But they didn't go running back and hide in Jerusalem under a rock somewhere. They walked off of that mountain. They walked back to Jerusalem through the same streets that just a few weeks earlier had yelled, Crucify Jesus. They prayed and received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then they went out on those streets filled with the Holy Spirit and saw thousands come to Christ. Why? Because they knew in their soul that Jesus was with them. And that makes all the difference. Two weeks ago when we were in Roanoke, I was watching and listening to our young people as they were helping folks get food. And I watched one of our young folks as they were handing food and helping someone get in their car. And they said these words, God bless you. God bless you. I want to challenge us in our vision for 2019. That with the Lord with us. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We know his blessing. And we share his blessing. With folks. Let's pray.